Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 119 of How I Built It. Today, my guest is Stephanie Scappa of Wave. I enjoyed this conversation because Stephanie is the co-founder and CEO of Wave, and they are backed by a large company, which means that they conduct uh, market research a little bit differently than uh, myself or, or most of my guests. And so I'm excited to share her story about that with you. She also talks about software development from a higher level with a larger team. So she talks about things like the waterfall method and, and switching to agile. And so I like a lot of the insight that she's able to provide for us today. So uh, we'll get to her story in a minute. Uh, If you do stick around till the end, you will hear the continued story of how I'm building my podcast course uh, and uh, some insight into that. And we'll get into all of that in a minute. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Plesk. Do you spend too much time doing server admin work and not enough time building websites? Plesk helps you manage servers, websites, and customers in one dashboard, helping you do those tasks up to 10 times faster than manually coding everything. And let me tell you, I recently checked out their new and improved WordPress toolkit, and I was super impressed by how easy it was to spin up new WordPress sites, clone sites, and even manage multiple updates to themes and plugins. With the click of one button, I was able to update all of my WordPress sites. I was, again, incredibly impressed by how great their WordPress toolkit is. You can learn more and try Plesk for free at plesk.com slash build. That's plesk.com slash build. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asked, how did you build that today? My guest is Stephanie Scappa. She is the co-founder and CEO of Wave. Stephanie, how are you today? Good. How are you? I am fantastic. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm excited to talk about uh, Wave and exactly what it is and um, kind of some of your plans and business models. I don't feel like this show talks about business models a lot. So I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, why don't we start off with a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do? Sure. Absolutely. So I actually have dual roles, and it's a little bit about the history of Wave. So Wave is a subsidiary of a parent company named Altair. And so for Wave, I'm one of the co-founders, and I'm the CEO. But I also, within the parent company, Altair, I run the corporate development department for all of the software companies that we engage with. And so I split my time, which can be a little bit tough, but Wave is really my passion. Cool. Very cool. And so what exactly is Wave? So Wave is a digital entertainment app. And if you think about it, it's really in comparison to other streaming applications that offer offline accessibility. So right now we've got music, we've got magazines, we've got eBooks, and coming soon we'll have podcasts as well. So the idea for us is really this multimedia platform using a unique business model for users to gain access to all their digital media needs. Gotcha. Yeah. So it it does. It sounds like it's uh, in competition with a few of the other platforms that we will talk about shortly. But um, how did you 
how did you kind of come up with the idea for Wave and and what uh what about it like what's that different piece that you're like, oh, this this is gonna be better than everything else? Yeah. So how we came up with it really relates back to the parent organization, Altair. So the whole concept for Wave really centers around this business model. And the business model is the same business model the parent company uses for all the B2B interactions that it has with other, uh, to distribute its software, really, I would say. And so the idea was to take this same business model that has been successful for Altair in the B2B world and apply it for digital consumer content now where at the time we were really looking at the marketplace and seeing free music really was at the height, I would say, with Napster and Mm -hmm. uh, ripping (laughs) CDs. And, you know, slowly streaming was being introduced, but it really still has a little bit of a challenge where you still have a lot of these freemium models where it's ad subscription based for the payment out to the artists and so forth. And so you see companies like Spotify who are struggling to turn a profit because of that. And so for us, you know, that's how the idea originated was really around this business model. But it goes a bit further for us because we really view it in our vision for Wave is to transform the digital economy to a new and more equitable model for artists, creators, and consumers. And we really believe in that because we think that it's important in market for everybody to be feeling like it's a fair model. You know, the consumers need to feel like it's a good model for them, but so do the artists and creators. It's got to be something really great. And we think that we can really transform the digital economy here around that. So in the music industry, it's starting to transform already with streaming and page streaming becoming more and more commonplace. But you still have other types of digital economies out there, so to speak, that haven't given that shift over quite yet. If you think about news or even blogs, podcasts, I mean, there's tons of free content that's available that we think we can change the way people are thinking about it and make it a more equitable model for everybody. That, I mean, that sounds fantastic. I've, I've kind of been having this same conversation in the online course space because it's either you, you sell your online courses on your own platform and spend all this time marketing and trying to do your best to sell the three to $400 course. And that's fine. That works. But you can also take advantage of a platform like Udemy, but they're going to take advantage of you too. So uh, they are selling your courses for a song and you get, you know, two or $3 per sale on a course that took you 20 to 30 hours to develop. So um, I, I, I can totally uh, kind of level with what you're saying here. It sounds awesome. Great. No, it's really all around what we're thinking. I mean, for us, we pay artists and creators based on the usage of their content. So when users are accessing, they're able to uh, make money off of that. And that's pretty standard, I would say. But what makes it really different is that we have the flexibility side on the pricing because not every piece of content, not every song is actually equivalent. And the challenge right now with a lot of the streaming mechanisms that are out there is that it creates sort of this stream effect across everything where every song is effectively equal in value. And so 
for us, we allow with the units model, the ability to have different prices and different content and so forth. Wow. That's, that's great. So as we, as we kind of talk about moving from how you came up with the idea to researching uh, this product, you mentioned that you're taking a business model from your parent company, Altair, and then you're, uh, you, you're also looking at kind of the status quo in other uh, markets. And so uh, in the pre-show, we talked a little bit about how you plan to compete with Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon. Uh, and uh, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Like what research did you do to figure out how to best compete, how to break into this market that's seemingly getting more saturated? Yeah, absolutely. So for us, I mean, you have to do competitive research anytime you're going into a new market, which Wave is a very new market from Altair. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's now we're going Altair's B2B and now we're really B2C with Wave. And so we spent a lot of time understanding the other platforms that were in market already. Um, We did a lot of market research with the users in particular so that we could better understand the right age range we were targeting and what motivates users, what features they feel like are most important, and pricing. And so for us, the biggest differentiation is really based on the units model because we give users more flexibility to have more of a bundled package. So the closest competitor on the bundling side that offers you the multi-content would be an Amazon. But they withhold content because you can't actually get the right price effect across all the content. So like an Amazon doesn't give you a full catalog of music. They only give you a partial catalog and then you can sort of purchase an additional package to have the full music catalog. And so for us, what we've done is by allowing for these different pricing, we let everybody have access to everything. And it's a question of the moment you're using it. So it's all about simultaneous access and what you're uh, using it for. And then in addition, you can have up to 25 people in your group to share your units. And so there's no restriction on family and so forth. It's really a very open mechanism. Again, it's totally based on simultaneous access. Gotcha. So for example, I have, I don't know, let's just say a hundred units for easy math. Um, I'm, I want to stream the new Taylor Swift album, like the moment it comes out. So do a bunch of people. So maybe it's going to be 10 units uh, on the day it comes out, as opposed to like five units, six six or 12 months down the line. That's absolutely the idea. So at the moment though, one of the challenges that we've faced being very open with your audience here is that, you know, it's a bit complicated to introduce within the single type of content the different pricings because users are used to music all being the same price. And so while that's our vision as we keep going, at the moment, all music is priced completely the same at 10 wave units. Whereas magazines, we've had more flexibility in. And so you find magazines within the application that might be 10 units, some might be five units. And so there's more flexibility in the number of units. And the idea is that while you're accessing the content, units are pulled from your group's pool and they're held out to run the content if you think about it. But then as soon as you pause your music or you close the reader, then your units go back into the group's pool and can be used again by anybody in your group, up to 25 people, across any of the different types of content. 
Ah, that's super interesting. So it's not like you're spending wave units. You're actually like, it's almost like borrowing a book from a library. It's exactly like that. Oh, that is, man, that's actually really cool, right? And I can see why you would struggle with the music side of things, but uh, that does seem to make it a lot fairer to the artists, right? As opposed to getting some percentage of one cent uh, per stream, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, if a bunch of, you know, if you've, if you have math worked out to say, well, this many units are currently going to uh, this latest song, then we know how much that translates to for the artist. Exactly. And so for us, I mean, we're wave, the advantage we have of having a parent company and not being VC funded is we're in it for the long haul. So, you know, we're slow and steady in our approach. And so, you know, the fact that on the music side, that's not the approach we're taking right now, that's okay with us. We'll get there. It takes time to get users to understand the model and see the value in it. But we really believe that over time, as we continue to add more content and as we ramp in more users, that we'll be able to make the shifts occur. Yeah. And, and that makes sense too, right? Because if you're VC funded, there's pressure to, uh, you know, if I start a company in Silicon Valley and I get some exorbitant amount of money, there's pressure for me to either sell it to someone like Spotify or to go public and then be, hold, be beholden to uh, the investors, but also the board members. So it's, it's, there's a lot of pressure to make things happen more quickly. Exactly. This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. Starting a new project? Looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high-performance hosting for your WordPress sites, plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account. You only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to pantheon.io today again to set up a free account. Pay only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. I'd love to get to the title question at this point, which is, uh, how did you build it, right? This is a, a subsidiary of a parent company, um, and you're the, the co-founder and CEO. I assume there's a development team and, and a marketing team and a research team. I'd be interested to see, um, you know, at, your le at whatever level of involvement you're at, how you put this whole thing together. Yeah, and I will tell you, it's very much a how we built it. <laughs> I don't think there would be any possibility of building anything without the entire team. Um, we've got a really strong team. And so my role specifically, you know, started really where I did all the negotiations with the labels directly, with the publishers, um, you know, really to onboard all of the different content into the platform. And then slowly, you know, we originally actually outsourced our development and it was a big lesson learned for us. We changed pretty quickly and built our own in-house development team because we realized that, you know, there are so many things that are unique for 
this product and for the industry that we needed to build ourselves and sort of have our hands on in order to better control. You know, you can imagine recommendation engines, all of those things we've built from the ground up. And so we really built up each team and, you know, you're absolutely right. We've got a marketing team. We just hired somebody that focuses on user engagement and can help us driving where our users are putting their time and energy and better helping our users within the app. So there's a lot of lessons learned, I would say. I mean, we've been doing this for five or six years now, really. And, you know, easy ones to see are from a development methodology standpoint, we started more with waterfall. And then as we got more established in our development process, we actually switched over to agile and we're constantly making changes and adjusting. But for me, having been part of the beginning, it's interesting to sort of see some of the shifts. And it's not like a agile process would have been better for us in the beginning, actually. It's more just over time, you have to be willing to adjust to what you need in that moment because sometimes what you need now versus, you know, in the future is going to be different and you just have to recognize when you need to change and make those changes. So it's been really quite a big process for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, speaking specifically to the waterfall versus agile process, for listeners who are uh, not familiar. The, those are two kind of development methodologies where with a waterfall, things have to happen in a certain order for you to get to a finished product. Agile is more fluid where it's like you get the requirements, but then you realize maybe later you, you should change it. Uh, and, and things theoretically can happen more quickly. But when you're building out a platform as big as Wave seems to be, it's probably really important to lock down those requirements early on so that you're not dealing with scope creep and failure to launch? So it really is. And so what we're at right now is a little bit of a hybrid. So with Waterfall, it's usually feature-based as far as sort of your sprints and your releases go. But right now, we're more on a time-based sprint release. And so what that means is if a feature doesn't get in and doesn't make the cut for that sprint, it pushes to the next sprint. And so we've sort of come up with our own hybrid model between a little bit where, you know, we're really striving to lock down more of the features, especially when we add a new big type of content in like podcasts, which are coming. Because for us, you know, if you're constantly changing things, you'll never get anything out. But at the same time, as you start to implement and you start to get more and more prototypes and, you know, finished product builds done, you realize that, well, that design you put in doesn't quite work the way you wanted it to, and you have to adjust. And so for us, at least what we found is having a little bit more flexibility gives us just what we need to get the right product out on time. Yeah, that's great. It allows you to to iterate quickly while also making sure like that for some of the major features that things are done the right way and they're not just kind of shoved out the door for the exactly. sake of shoving them out the door. Cool. Yep. Uh, there's one more question I want to ask you kind of in this section. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's about your, you, you have somebody who focuses on user engagement. Uh, something that I've been experimenting a lot with lately is like Hotjar and, and some other analytics tools to figure out uh, for my site, where people are failing to purchase, uh, like where do I lose the potential buyer for my courses? Um, or how are users who have bought the course using it? 
what kind of tools uh, are you using to figure out how your users are using your platform? Sure. So it's actually a good topic because we're in the middle of reevaluating our tool set here too. So historically, we've used uh, Amplitude for all the in-app tracking and then Google Analytics. But we also do, because of our licensing model with the units, we're checking in and out content and the plays and all of that. We've got quite a bit of backend data that we collect just naturally. Um, and so for us, we're trying to figure out the right way to pair that backend data with a lot of the in-app data, let's say, which is more about what the users are clicking on and where they're looking at and things like that. And so we're really in the middle of sort of evaluating some of the different tools and there's millions of tools out there. It's really a question of identifying sort of the requirements that you're looking for and then seeing, you know, all the way through the process. Because I think that's the biggest mistake we made originally when we implemented some of these tools is we thought, okay, this tool will give us that piece of information we're looking for. And that tool will give us this piece of information we're looking for. And now we've got the information we need, but you have to be able to connect it for it to add value. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, you know, it's something that you don't really think about when you're putting the whole process in place in the beginning often. But now that we're knee deep in it, we're realizing it's really critical for us to be able to have the continuity of exactly what the user is doing from download all the way through purchasing and playing and all the activity that they're actually interacting with. Yeah, that's great. I love that. We need to have the, we have the information we need and now we need to connect it to add value. That makes sense, right? Because uh, if you, if I just have a list of, everybody who visited my course and everybody who purchased the course, but I don't know why they purchased the course. I can't then change my copy to uh, attract more people to purchase the course. Exactly. Cool. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, so uh, as we kind of come to the end and towards the end of this episode, um, I like to ask kind of what transformations you've been to versus what your plans for the future are. And we've touched on them a little bit, but, um, I would love to hear like the, the big kind of what was the one of your favorite evolutions from the time you launched to now? My favorite evolution. I don't know about favorite, <laughs> <laughs> but one of the bigger ones, I would say, is a shift that we're in the middle of making at the moment. Um, so when we launched, we really liked this idea of connecting charities into our app. And so the concept was that we allow an artist to choose their favorite charity. And then the more user listened to that artist, the more that artist's charity would receive from Wave. And we were donating a half percent of our revenue. Wow. And over time, what we've sort of learned is that by listening to our partners and to customers, that's not adding enough value and actually isn't meaningful enough. And so, you know, on the partner side, artists aren't engaged. And so it ends up just automatically going to a default charity, which really sort of defeated the purpose a little bit. We were hoping to build more artist fan relationships and connections. And then on the customer side, users actually aren't as engaged on it and aren't as interested. And so for us, it's one of the transformations we're going to make. We tried it. You know, now we're hearing from everybody out there that it's really not working. And so 
you know, we're going to try something new and we'll pull that and see what else we can do. Another way to sort of get engaged in society and so forth. But it's really, I have to admit, it's a disappointing one, which is why it's not my favorite. But you have to really be honest about what works and what doesn't work. And it sounded like such a cool idea in theory. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, I'm with you. I would have thought that artists would have loved this because especially uh, there are a lot of maybe politically active artists out there. And this would be an easy way for them to generate some extra donations to their charity of choice, you know, depending on what they like and what they want to promote. Yep. But what we've learned is that really in the end, for the most part, we're dealing more with the labels directly and the artists aren't as engaged on these platforms as you would imagine that they really are. And so it was really, you know, big lesson learned for us. But you know what? We continue to make updates and improvements based on, you know, user and partner feedback and, you know, keep going. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess that that makes sense, right? If the labels aren't telling their artists they can do that or exactly how to do that, the artists aren't going to do that. So, yep. Um, cool. Well, with that in mind, uh, what are your you, you mentioned podcasts, but mm-hmm. what are, what are uh, some of the other plans for the future as far as Wave goes? So within the app, you'll notice, you know, we've got a videos tab. <laughs> so certainly something top of mind for us on videos. We're also thinking about news and other types of content that could be interesting for users. But to be honest, you know, nothing is solidified. We're still really constantly surveying users to get feedback on what's most interesting for them and making changes based on that. So, you know, we're we were surprised how popular podcasts were when we surveyed the last time. And, you know, the time before that, lyrics were the number one request. And so, you know, we're slowly adding in the features that users are most interested in and just keep moving. Very cool. Well, it makes me happy to hear that uh, podcasts are very popular naturally as I have my show. (laughs) I want more people to listen to it. So that's cool. Um, I will say that one of my favorite features... Uh, of Spotify that they took away at least from the desktop app was the lyrics uh, for whatever song I happen to be listening to. Because um, I I constantly go to like genius.com or whatever just to read the lyrics or the meaning of the lyric. Well, you can get it in Wave now on all uh, our platforms, mobile very, and web. Very cool, very cool. Uh, well, I will ask you how people can get there in a second, but I do need to ask uh, perhaps my favorite question which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Ooh, I would say the key is really listening and hearing what other people are saying, especially your customers, and being willing to be agile and make changes quickly. Because if somebody's giving you feedback, you need to understand, you know, why is that feedback coming? Is it relevant? Does it make sense? And if the answer is yes, when you're really honest with yourself about it, you have to be able to move super fast because if you take, you know, six months to make changes, a year to make changes, especially in a startup environment, it's just not fast enough. So you have to be willing to look at your favorite ideas like charities and just say not working and, just move on and make that change super quick. Yeah, that is great advice. As a software developer myself, I uh, 
you know, there'll be a feature or or maybe even just a, a plugin or an idea that I'm married to. Like, I love that idea. And my mastermind group will tell me, this is not, Joe, this is not a great idea. You should spend your time elsewhere. And I've listened to them in the past and I haven't listened to them in the past. And turns out I should have listened to them when I, when I haven't. So. <laughs> well, and you, it's hard because not always is the feedback you're going to be receiving the right feedback. And so it's important to be able to recognize, you know, when to listen and when is okay to sort of go against the grain. But it's so important to be understanding where the feedback is coming from and why they're thinking the way they're thinking, because that can sort of tell you and guide you, should I be listening? And you have to be a little bit cutthroat. If the answer is yes, then Mm -hmm. you got to just sort of move on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, on that, I had one more thought as you were saying that, and it's because um, you mentioned the why, right? It's And it's almost like when somebody recommends a TV show to you, they'll say, oh, you know what TV show I think you'll really like? And in most cases, it's actually, hey, you know what TV show I really like? Uh, unless it's a close friend who understands what I like. And yep. when, he, you know, if, if they recommend a TV show, I'm more apt to listen to it. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Very cool. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find you? So you can go to wave.com. It's spelled W-E-Y-V. And we actually made a promo code for any of your users that would be interested in two months free. It's how I built it. So it's as simple as that. Awesome. So if you are interested in trying out uh, wave.com for... Uh, all sorts of content, uh, magazines, uh, uh, reached out to me, uh, jumped out to me specifically. So, uh, two months free using the code, how I built it. I'll include that, uh, and everything that we talked about in the show notes today, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much to Steph for joining me today. I really appreciate her time and her advice on everything from deep market research to software development. Her trade secret rings true uh, across several episodes of this show, which is keep listening to your customers and hearing what they have to say. Be agile uh, and make changes quickly. I really like all of those things. If you want to try a wave out, uh, you can get two months free by using the code how I built it. You can get that by going to how I built it slash wave. That's how I built it slash W E Y V. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Plesk and Pantheon. Their support makes this show possible. And those are two tools, two services that I can uh, highly speak to. I really am a big fan of both of those. My question of the week for you is how has Steph's story changed your outlook? Um, I know that she's coming from a different perspective, uh, being the CEO of a larger company. And uh, I'm interested to see exactly what piece of advice you took away most from this. Let me know by emailing me, joe at howibuilt.it or on Twitter at jcasabona. So to continue my story of how I'm building out my podcast course, I told you a little bit so far about how I came up with the idea. I told you a little bit about the research or lack thereof. And so uh, in, in pivoting, um, I want to continue that story a little bit because I think it's important uh, in deciding to pivot the course. Um, 
I realized that I need to look at the entire scope of podcasting. And the way I came to that conclusion, right? I want to make sure I'm answering the questions that people have. And my my biggest uh, hesitance, I guess, in creating a full soup to nuts podcast course is that people much more popular than me are already doing that. Uh, Pat Flynn, for example, uh, John Lee Dumas is another person who's who's already doing that. Uh, and they have a much bigger audience than me. And their courses come with a bigger price tag. And it's because they're they're giving their personal time. So as I'm pivoting my course, uh, the way to garner feedback that's worked best for me is with a lead gen uh, for a podcast workbook. So uh, if you go to howibuilt.it slash podcast, you'll be able to see the course, but you'll also be able to opt in for that free podcast workbook. And I give people who sign up to get that workbook a five day or seven day sequence where the first question is, what is your biggest struggle in podcasting? And a lot of people respond to that question. And I'm using that those responses to build out the content for my course. Now, over the next few days, they get more pointed advice that I'll also integrate into the course. But those questions and hearing people's struggles are the things that I know people are going to want the answer to and in depth. So that's been very helpful. Uh, the other thing, and I, I ran this by a, a few of uh, my friends in a mastermind group, is the idea of doing a an air check, right? So I want to provide some extra piece of value. My friend Ryan uh, gave me this idea, and then I um, nearly simultaneously was reading a book about podcasting that talked about the idea of an air check. And as part of the value add for the course, I want to actually physically help people uh, improve their audio quality. And so I'm going to offer an air check, which is where they'll send me some piece of audio and I'll give them advice on how they can improve their audio quality. And for the higher level bundle, um, I'll actually listen to their podcast and give them advice on how to improve their podcast as well. So that is part two of the research, the better research I'm doing to make my course better. Uh, next week, I will tell you uh, in some detail how I'm building out the course. And that'll probably take a couple of episodes because I want to try to keep it short at the end of these episodes. So thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more about my podcasting course, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash podcast. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>